Hey there, welcome to Blockhead, the Peanuts tribute podcast from a cartoonist's point of view. My name is Jeff Grogan, and I'll be your host for the next hour or so in a series of conversations with comics creators about their lives, their work, and comics. So sit back and enjoy. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to Blockhead. Yes, I am back after a long hiatus. Not really a hiatus. It doesn't really feel like a hiatus. Hiatus. That's a that's a funny word, isn't it? Hiatus. Well, anyway, it doesn't feel like a hiatus <laughs> if you've been working the whole time you've been away. I've just been away from Blockhead. And the only reason I've been away from Blockhead is because I've had all these other things to do, which have been piling up. And so it's it's just gotten in the way. But I finally sat down with somebody who I really wanted to talk to. Uh, and that is Ryan Heshka, today's guest. Ryan Heshka, who you may know as a painter, as an illustrator, as a terrific comics artist who is known for Mean Girls Club. The Mean Girls Club, Pink Dawn, is his graphic novel from No Brow, and it is terrific. I read it over the summer and just loved it. I love the graphics. I love the image. I love the sensibility. I love the topicality and the the message, you know, pro-woman and anti-patriarchy message. Uh, Let me tell you, these girls really, they, they get mean <laughs> and and take it out on the on uh, the vicious patriarchy let me tell you it's a great book i loved it uh, i loved the righteous anger and the uh, the the outrage that comes through that book it's great anyway he's also known for some for uh, a shorter uh, uh, the first pink uh, mean girls club uh risograph comic and then he's also known for Frog Wife and Pleasure Planet, among others. And then, and then he's he's really known for his terrifically strange, otherworldly, dreamlike paintings, which uh, call to mind lots of of memories of of pop culture past movies and science fiction movies and horror movies and and uh, comics and pulp comics and pulp paintings and golden age comics and superheroes and batman primarily batman and and then there's just you know all this other stuff and ryan is just this incredible incredible uh, artist whose work i i have to say you know i i only I think I found out about Ryan through Pinko Joe, actually, uh, through Pinko Joe's Instagram. And I think he had referenced Ryan for something or maybe he liked something. And Instagram pointed me there and I was like, holy crap, I just love this guy's stuff. And so uh, I've been I've been devouring his work ever since. And uh, uh, I've mentioned all the comics. There's a great great collection of his paintings called Fatals, as in Femme Fatals, The Art of Ryan Heshka, and I highly recommend it. It is a wonderful book. Anybody who loves illustration and wild painting and, and you know, that kind of aesthetic, that retro retro aesthetic that never happened, you know, uh, Ryan's got it in spades. Anyway, you're going to love his stuff. If you don't know it, go to ryanheshka.com. Uh, and he's on Instagram, but I'm going to have to pause and go find the Instagram um, account number. Probably Ryan Heshka on Instagram. You can look it up. Um, 
and uh, I'll probably put it in the notes, right? So uh, it'll be there after the fact. So look for it in the notes for this show in this episode. Anyway, I love his stuff. I love having him here. He's a great guy. We had a wonderful conversation. Why is it all these like great cartoonists and artists that I love lately all come from Canada? I don't know. Maybe it's saying something to me. But anyway, he's here. We're going to sit down and talk. And then at the end of the show, I'm going to tell you about some other stuff, things I've been working on lately that uh, I want to share with you. Hey, uh, I almost forgot. There, there was kind of a glitch in the recording uh, of this episode. Ryan comes out really clear as a bell. But unfortunately, there was a glitch in my microphone. I didn't wasn't aware of it until after the fact, listening to it. And it sounds like um, my voice isn't all that clear. But that's okay. You don't really need to hear me uh, all that well, but you do need to, to hear Ryan. So uh, so I hope you can bear with it. Uh, it is what it is for now, and uh, hopefully next time I'll have the problem fixed. But um, this episode begins a little differently. It starts right in the middle of a conversation Ryan and I were having. I had hit the record button early before we set our introductions, and we're in the middle of a conversation about paintings that Ryan was doing for a gallery show that got lost uh, through whatever uh, service he was shipping. Uh, and uh, and instead, um, some, some jeans showed up at the gallery instead of paintings. So if you find some paintings on your, your doorstep or on your stoop, uh, you know, let us know, okay? And we'll <laughs> make sure they get to the right gallery. Okay. Uh, anyway, that problem still, as far as I know, isn't resolved and Ryan is feverishly painting away. So, okay, let's get right to it. Ryan Heschka and myself in conversation. I hope you enjoy this. We FedEx lost a big package of artwork. Oh so, no! And I'm oh, I I finished painting a show on Friday and mm-hmm. found out Sunday night that the bulk of that artwork is now missing. The 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 gallery owner got a box of blue jeans from American Eagle Outfitters with my waybill on it. Oh my god! Yeah, so it's been, it's been a gong show. So I'm madly trying to paint more work for the show to make sure they have something to hang on the walls but i am yeah i'm sort of yeah that's, oh that's God, what i'm man. that's where i'm at right now so you can that's my headspace so my apologies i was totally distracted and not not thinking clearly how many paintings are we talking about well it was supposed to be five paintings in the show it was a, 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 a three-person show so four of the paintings out of five were in that package oh man oh yeah my God. <laughs> so Jeez. i'm well, you know like, but, oh. This is, a, this is a sign of the times we're living in. This is like not even like I have had I've never had anything lost in the courier system in in 20 years. And this last year I've had this is the third thing that's gone missing. Wow. Really? So, yeah. How many. So so are we we're talking about like other packages of artwork. No, some actually some some pool, uh, some some posters that I did for the band tool. Uh-huh. Um, for their tour, part of the part of the payment was getting a, a bunch of posters signed by the band that I could sell on the on my website because they have a really rabid fan base for these posters for their tour posters. So, you know, we're, we're talking like five figures worth of posters, uh-huh. um, and uh, and and those went missing one time, and then they replaced them while they were still on tour, and then though that package went missing. Oh my God! Man. So yeah. So, <laughs> you know, it's it's like I, I you couldn't plan on something to be as I mean as awful as this. I mean, it's terrible. It uh, feels it feels like there's something insidious going on, but that's just my paranoia. 
Yeah, I, I, I don't I don't think it's personal. I think it's systemic. You know, I think we're all suffering from something similar, although I haven't had. Thank goodness I haven't had that kind of uh, thing happen to me. This is like, yeah, this is this is our, our first world supply chain customer service, uh, you know, um, downward spiral that we're living in, I think. But exactly, man, we're watching the crumbling of civilization as we speak. So, so uh, the paintings that were in, hey, I should tell you, I press the record button like as soon as I, I connect with someone because who knows, sometimes we say interesting things before we actually get into the conversation. I don't sure. know if you you want this left off the tape of the show or not. It's it's totally up to you. I'm going to I'm just uh, trying to calm myself down from the yeah. uh, from from missing your missing your Skype call and everything. So I'll, I'm, I'm just adjusting, but it's all fine. Okay, when's the uh, when's the opening for the show? Uh, November twelfth. And where is it? In uh, the Joshua Tree, in California. Oh, in California, okay. Yeah, at, uh, the, at the Hey There Gallery, I'll give them a plug. Which gallery was? I'm sorry, I missed that. Hey There, it's called. Hey There, okay. Yeah. I'll look it up. Um, well, anybody, anybody who's out there in California, the Joshua Tree, go to Hey There, right? Hey There Gallery and yeah. see Ryan's work. It'll may, probably may be fresh <laughs> paint. You know, may or may not see the work. I don't know. May, either that or it'll be an interesting conceptual piece where there's nothing on the walls. You know, Maybe this is just, where the work would have been. Yeah, exactly. Or else I'll do my first abstracts and just like pound out a bunch of like day-long paintings or something well you know this gets into something that i was going to talk about later but um so you know i i've i'm i'm a fan of your painting uh i have to say i'm late to the i've been late to the game though but i i, I have developed a great love of your work thank and you yeah it's great stuff it, it hits me where i live in some weird dream space but anyway this, it, before i get into all that um one of the, it strikes i'm thinking about your process in regard to the show because one of the things that hits me is that sometimes it seems like your painting process is spontaneous or it seems to be generated relatively quickly like you'll in a mad like you know 24-hour session you'll do a painting or something like that is that am i getting that right or is that like you know just the the myth that comes from looking at instagram uh, photos and process videos and stuff. Yeah, I mean, that's that's probably part of the perception is, you know, everyone's always doing it faster and better than we are kind of, thing. you know, <laughs> I look at everybody's work. It's like, oh, wow, they're so prolific. But I'm forgetting that they're probably, you know, posting something that they worked on for six months or something, you know, like a body of work. But no, that that's that's right. It is part of it. There's, you know, there's both sides. It's um, definitely there's part of it where I do sort of a, a painting blitz. I'll have an idea. Um, I use for that sort of thing, I'll, I'll use gouache because gouache is great for that. It dries fast. It's, it's movable. Um, and it'll, it'll be great to sort of like get ideas down quickly. So, um, yeah, there's that part of it. The oil paintings are a lot more laborious, but I, I think, I think you've nailed it that definitely the sort of the content and the, the imagery is something that happens fairly rapidly for the, for the most part. I, it, I, I aim, I aim for spontaneity or the, illusion of spontaneity so maybe i'm doing maybe i'm maybe i'm attaining what i'm going for if, if that's your perception of it well my perception yeah my perception is that you're this you're lo you're an artist locked in an ivory tower somewhere somebody brings you meals like a couple of times a day you know brings you water and there's a, a bedpan over in the corner and you just they just feed you oil <laughs> paint oil paint and and canvases and just say paint you know and you're there <laughs> 
feverishly, you know, turning one to and madly. You're not you're so focused <laughs> on the work you can't think of anything else. You're just painting away constantly because all this stuff is in your head. That's that's what it seems like to me. <laughs> wow, that is an interesting vision. Uh, <laughs> I, it's 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 a lot less interesting than that. But I'll, I'll we can go with that <laughs> if you want to. Yeah, that's totally fine. Well, I just, I don't know if, I just saw a movie, um, what was it, the other night with my wife, it was called uh, The Electrifying Life of Lewis Wayne or something, you may know. Was that The Cat Painter? Yeah, The Cat Painter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it starts, you, you saw it, yeah, and he's like, you know, he went, obviously he had serious issues, but, you know, at the end of his life, they show this, this, you know, this mad, wild artist in his, you know, uh, institutional lock up and he's just working on these little cat paintings and every now and again he dan benedict cumberdance cumberbatch dances across the room you know with his wild frenzy yeah uh, that that vision must be in my head too I, I you know i wish i had that sort of artist life that salvador Dali kind of you know walking his art bark down the street kind of thing no i am i, I am if anyone saw me i well when people meet me they think that i'm going to be some freak and i'm really i i dress well, invisibly like you know very no I don't have any tattoos my hair is a normal color uh you know it's like salt and pepper it's not like pink or you know lavender or something like that it's my clothes are are you know black gray you know some color thrown in but I, I yeah I don't have any sort of it's it's all and any eccentricities I have are are focused in my work and they don't come across on the outside I, I i try to be invisible and blend in so <laughs> well it's is that a conscious effort or is just that's just no it's just i think it's just the way i live my life i, I just don't yeah i'm not an attention i don't i don't like attention necessarily so i think it's just that childhood sort of growing up as a as a quiet shy child and not wanting to sort of draw attention to myself i think that's just my mm -hmm. you know my inner that's you, my inner yeah. inner self You'll let the work do the speaking for you. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's what surprises people because the work is a little more out there and then they meet me and I'm, you know, I, I, I have no, I have no, I'm a, it's like there's this generic sort of packaging mm -hmm. on the outside. So well, yeah, Dolly was, was so much show and, and uh, his work off, often feels very much like show also, but, but, um, you know, he was he was just he knew he was putting on a performance. But, um, you know, when you it, it, when you get into somebody like the thing about your work that suggests that to me is 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 that the work itself has this quality. You know, it's it's I think you say at, w at one point in your uh, your catalog, um, Fatal, uh, is is that um, you internalize this language of of pulp you know, comics or whatever. It's this language that has become so much interior inside you and and then you speak through it. And when you speak through it, you channel it so organically um, that what comes out is deeply personal, but it's also, you know, revealing of some inner life and uh, which is unique, I think. Um, most of the time somebody is referencing, well, in my own case, for example, when I reference work from the past or I work, I reference artwork, it's usually from an intellectual and conceptual point of view. And so there's a kind of you know, distance between the work or the imagery and myself. And that's not the case in your work. In your work, it's very immediately yours. And so when I look at it, I do get this sense that this is just coming from, 
you know, an inner life that is so vibrant and powerful and um, and relentless, really. Oh, well, thank you. Those are that's a kind kind way to look at the work. Um, um, yeah, no, I, I, I think it's it's taken a while to get to that point. Um, obviously, I've worked through as many people do, you know, when I went to sort early on, just sort of copying the greats and working through, you know, sort of uh, my, my, my own collection of comics and sort of I, just a little to back to back up back to when I was like sort of 10 or so I had this um, I created a, a, a sort of a mad magazine knockoff called Nuts, and it was sort of parodies of different things, and it had a Mr. Peanut kind of character. Kind of thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but anyways, I had sort of issues where I would like, you know, sort of copy um, great newspaper comic artists or sort of make my own sort of like little goofy things, but really like copy their styles. And I think that's how I started to sort of learn um, comics is sort of, you know, looking at like uh, obviously early Batman comics and uh, the Marvel stuff and, and that, and I sort of, inter- you know, that's, that sort of led me on that, that sort of journey of internalization of, of, uh, of that sort of material. And, uh, it's, it's never really slowed down. I think what I did at some point a little more in, in, in recent years, like sort of recent being like, you know, 15 years ago is sort of, I had to stop sort of looking at that stuff so carefully and, and stop looking at, at painters that I admired because it was I was not only internalizing it but then also externalizing it in my own work and it started to look like you know somebody's contemporary painting or a little bit too like oh girl in a glass tube carried by a robot you know kind of thing like very very literal um sort of translations of the of these um you know mm-hmm. comic tropes and pulps and, and and comics and I sort of started to sort of pull away from that and and just sort of really I think rather than look at something directly, sort of uh, just really let myself, all the internalization that I'd done, sort of let that sort of, you know, seep out slowly, sort of unscrew the lid a little bit on that. Um, and I think that's where that sort of personal aspect comes in too, because it's sort of not only the the, the themes and, and, and art that I've internalized, but then also sort of my own you know, personal voices as uh, internal voices gotten stronger with age. So that starts to really uh, creep into it as well. If that yeah, makes sense. And the, the imagery is really just so it's like otherworldly in a, in, in a very, well, it's, you know, the attraction is the images speak and they speak very clearly, but what they speak about is not always so self-evident on the surface. Do you know what I mean? They they reveal themselves in strange ways gradually. And I think anybody who, who looks at your work is going to bring their own background to it and their own interpretations to it. But they're they're so they're filled with ambiguity, but also filled with some very discreet um and and potent. I don't want to call them symbols, but signs, you know, uh, that direct the viewer towards one line of thinking or another. Um, yeah. Oh, you were going to say something. No, no, that's that's exactly it. That That is definitely a conscious choice to be um, ambiguous in the work. I, I, I don't I, I'm not a big fan of art speak and I'm, mm-hmm. I don't like those sort of like, you know, oh, printouts people put on their walls next to their art explaining everything and, and their concept statement about the piece and stuff. It's like I really I don't I don't want to lecture or teach the viewer. I want them to sort of, you know, be able to um, take something away. What is what is that? What is what is what does the work present to people and why does it um, resonate? 
with people. And that's, it's as simple as that. I, I'm not, yeah, I, I don't want to impose my, my own, um, you know, belief system or, or, um, you, you know, I don't want to decode things. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I, I have to, I'm a university, I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm a university professor in the art department. And so yeah. I've, I've been there for a long time. And I'll tell you, I, I totally, there's nothing that makes me want to vomit more readily than art speak. I, I, sw- <laughs> I swear to God. And, and, you know, the only artwork that really matters, you know, in a life of making art and appreciating art, the only, when I walk away from it, and I'm 62 now, right? So I've had a lifetime of experiencing and I walk away from it. The only stuff that really matters is the stuff that speaks on a nonverbal level. And when it, it does, you know it, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and this is what's going on in your work. I don't need, I don't want explanations, you know? I didn't want to see, I mean, it's interesting to hear what you have to say about it, obviously, but I don't want to, I don't, it spoils the mystery of it and, and the, the vitality of it, the life of it, you know, art speak is just a way of killing off the work and replacing it with jargon. That's meant seems to me to be a sales pitch more than anything else. Yeah. And I, I think it's not only the, the sort of the art speak, but it's also sort of our, the, the way things seem to be in my 52 year old, you know, lens that, that I'm looking through the world or looking at the world through is, um, everybody wants an explanation. What is the, what is the meaning of life? What is this show? You know, what is this show? What, what's happening in this show? Every, every, you know, everything sort of has to, you know, Oh, what does this post mean? Or, or what, it, you know, everyone's looking for this sort of explanation, whether it's like QAnon or whatever, like people mm-hmm. want an answer. They don't care if it's the right answer. They just yeah. want an explanation. And it's like, I, I think that's, I think that's crushing personally, you know, um, I do too. And I think, you know, tell me what to think, you know? Yeah, exactly. Tell me what to think. I don't want to do it myself. It's we're living in this age of like in in the the age of the individual. And yet everybody wants to be told what to think, even if they don't think they think they want to be told what to think. I think they do because it's just, it's an easier path and if they can glom onto something that doesn't feel like they're being told what to think but they are in some way you know they're okay with that it's i don't know it's very i don't want to get too deep too fast or anything right no i know it's it's just something anybody who's listening who works in a bureaucracy i think knows what this is this is like and uh you know one of the things that i absolutely can't stand is well for example in the bureaucracy that i work in in the university if you put forth uh, and this is this goes against all educational models and everything but you put forth a new a new course and you write up a course description you have to they have a whole list you know of of verbs that they're called they call active verbs and adjectives and this is the list of preferred verbs and adjectives oh my gosh you know students cannot explore an idea students have to do something more active in your course proposals and this does absolutely nothing for the student all it does is serve, you know, a master of bureaucratic language. And this is Orwell all over. And, yeah. you know, to to acquiesce to this is just a little death. Every every time it's a little death. Yeah. I, well, obviously, you know more about the, the, the educational system than me, but I've, I've heard a lot of people talk about the, the post-secondary education field and structures and things. And it's kind of frightening you know that used to be sort of the area for exploration and uh and uh rebellion and now it's sort of they've i don't know it feels it from what i've heard it feels like it's very shaped and structured and a more of a training ground um 
<laughs> this is just what I've heard. You obviously you you are in it, so you know better than I do. But well, I'm sure I, it's not this way with every institution. But this is sort of the direction. Well, yeah, it it, it is a direction. We're are in academia. I think people are their own worst enemies in that sense. You know, it's supposed to be a, an arena of free thought and thinking and progressive thought, and it is in some regard. Regard, but that progressive thought is shaped, and it's a particular kind of progressive thought that is preferred. And you know, and the institution will begin to speak in the in the language of this preferred progressive thought, and then spread it out, so that it's no longer free and progressive in the way that you want it to be free and progressive. In fact, it's been tailor-made to satisfy somebody's idea of what is free and progressive and ah this is totally <laughs> totally off track but um, it is so, to loop back yeah this is i think this is why for me this this idea of keeping things uh, um vague and ambiguous is uh, is important in my work because i want to add that back into the mix in the you know out there Yes. You know, I'm looking at a painting on your website. I have to mention this. This is a friggin' beautiful painting. And it's the first, when you go to ryanheshka.com, it's the first image that comes up. And I don't know the title of this painting, but, you know, there's this woman, uh, you know, very voluptuous uh, woman and exposing her cleavage. She's wearing a black satin dress that's cut at the, or split at the, uh, just below the crotch. And, and she is sitting, there's a man, well, okay, what appears to be, a skeleton uh, or at least a skeleton head sitting on top of a, an individual who is wearing some skeleton costume like out of the old silent movies or something with a broken leg in a wheelchair and and she's holding a bottle of perfume and a sprayer right and or something yeah. like that and it's like yeah. what it, and it's so beautiful and so mysterious and and intoxicating and, you know, I'm caught up in looking at the color. I'm caught up in looking at, and the shadows. It's just gorgeous. Oh, thank and, you. And so filled with, I mean, if, you know, people who are listening, go to Ryan Eschke right, right now and look at this painting. It's it's unbelievable. It's so beautiful. It's And, and yet at the same time, it's a little scary uh, in the way that Twin Peaks was scary, you know, or David Lynch is scary. But it's also, uh, it's it's also intoxicating it's it's you don't i can't stop looking at it it's so gorgeous oh uh, thank you I yeah I, I appreciate that I don't, uh, yeah i don't want to know who the guy is or who she is or i know something's going on and i can sort of extrapolate what's going on but it's in my head it's not necessarily what's in ryan's head yeah i think that that's i mean that's an important way for people to view my work for for me personally is to just you know, it's 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 really the the beauties in the eye of the beholder, um, you know, and um, yeah, um, that work was a a commission for a, a local customer. The title to answer the question about the title was uh, Bakelite, no Velvet Bakelite Formaldehyde, I think. <laughs> yeah, it was three those three words. I not might not be in that order. I can't exactly remember, but anyways, it was something to that degree. Um, and I wanted a really vague title on it that sort of um, uh, sort of uh, brought about the sort of the, the the smells and textures that you would get in that room. You know, the formaldehyde, the, uh, you know, Bakelite sort of uh, telephone, um, the velvet, you know, the, the velvet uh, dress, uh, that sort of thing. So um, but um, yeah. And you mentioned David Lynch, which I, I, I'm sort of glad that that bleeds through, too, because he's been such a a lifelong inspiration to me uh, in terms of his uh, his output. Uh, 
just yeah such a such a fan of his work so you know I, I love again that sort of the vagueness the mystery the sort of like shock shock without being shocking in a, in a gory way necessarily but shock like wow that was so weird i don't know what i just saw you know <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely well there and there's this ability to take you know i i mean like i'm looking at this individual in a wheelchair who's got this this cl- piece of clothing on with the painted on um or silk screened whatever um skeletal structure on him and he's wearing a skull or his head is a skull i don't know which it is it doesn't really matter um but it 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 brings back memories of halloween costumes uh, childhood memories you know of halloween costumes so there's a connection you know there you know through the commonplace um Mm -hmm. you know the wallpaper is reminiscent of of a certain period of time and certain kinds of wallpaper and certain kinds of environments and so you know we we make that connection and all of these connections it reminds me of the way you know um not that the the connection's too close, but it is there. It's um, you know the way Lynch will use commonplace occurrences, and they become those very commonplace occurrences that we recognize. He takes them and sort of shifts them just a little bit to the right or to the left into a slightly altered dimension, but not entirely different from our own. Just a little bit off. Yeah. So everything yeah. that is commonplace becomes somewhat questionable and disturbing yeah well that's a that's a great way to summarize it and much more articulate than i could ever be um about david Lynch's <laughs> it's what work. i get paid for <laughs> <laughs> well <laughs> you don't get paid enough yeah. But, uh, yeah but uh yeah exactly i'm thinking of that scene in in mulholland drive when there's like somebody's vacuuming in a hotel room and then the the one of the hitmen comes in and like shoots the guy but he hits the the vacuum keeps going and then he shoots the vacuum but the vacuum explodes and it starts a fire and then the room's on fire it's just a it's a gong show but that whole idea of yeah the guy vacuuming is like such a like a, a, a like something you wouldn't think about and he turned it into a um a carnival you know what i mean like it's it's just brilliant like a nightmare yeah it's, it's a, a nightmare movie. carnival exactly yeah so i do yeah i mean I, I i do like to sort of like draw on on objects from my childhood like the the rat in the painting that you're referring to down in the left corner is sort of like you know those you ever have one of those big pink soft rubber rats that were sort of hollow on the inside and really squishy i know what you're talking about i never had one because rats yeah. weren't, weren't my thing but i did i do remember seeing them as a kid yeah absolutely yeah so it's like things things like that um you know um just sort of bringing those sort of small elements back into you know um some of the some of the work that i do sometimes it's even just a texture that i'll remember or see in a movie or or try to just like oh I, you know try to emulate the lumpiness of of something that i saw um I, I draw a lot on natural history too i know it probably doesn't show in my work but sort of like nature is a is a big um increasingly a, a big uh part of my work when i'm out in, in you know walks with my daughter or exploring the beach or something it's like i'll really take i really start to take a lot in in terms of of, of the natural world um as well it's um, interesting um that shows up i mean shows up in some of your paintings of you know, uh, large, in, you know, monster insects and things like that, or, or um, I'm thinking now of Pleasure Planet and the flora and fauna, you know, the dangerous flora and fauna of that particular comic book. Um, yeah, for sure. 
you know, it informs a concern and an interest in a sort of aberrant ecology, if you will, um, shows up in your work uh, a lot too, um, particularly in that comic book, um, but also, you know, love of monsters. But one of the things that, that was, um, you were talking about there, um, you know, the use of memory and reflecting upon the memory of certain things, objects and whatnot, you know, um, this is interesting. I've had this conversation with with different cartoonists. I'm I'm kind of attracted to it in different cartoonist work, different artists work. But um, I've talked to Jay Stevenson about it. I've talked to Seth about it. And this idea of nostalgia and mining the past for imagery, mining the past and memory for imagery. And all three of you do it in a very different way. Um, you know, Seth has his approach, and and Jay has his approach. But yours seems to be of the three, the most, again, dreamlike and the most mysterious. But, you know, how do you, how would you speak about nostalgia in your work? This attraction to, to languages of, visual languages of, of the past, but, you know, again, they've gone through a filter and gone through a process of internalization. But, you know, how would you talk? Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I'll be I'll be honest. The whole idea of nostalgia has always of, of my own personal nostalgia has always sort of eluded me because I kind of came out like as a kid, very into uh, sort of I, uh, imagery from the, the 30s and 40s and 50s um, and even the 60s. And this was like I was born in 1970. So this stuff was all. There was that sort of nostalgia boom in the 70s, if you're old enough to remember, which it sounds like you are, about, you know, when they were like reprinting like Buck Rogers in those big volumes and you could go to the library and there was like Jules Pfeiffer's great book on like uh, early superheroes and comics and stuff. So I was sort of at the library, like digging through shelves of like, you know, like old comics, like Carl Barks, Uncle Scrooge and and, uh, and the old, you know, getting the mad magazines with those inserts of the old mad comics. Oh, yeah. I love those. And all that stuff. It's like I I dug it. And I don't know. And old movies, too. Like, you know, like King Kong would come on on a Sunday afternoon and I'd be glued yeah. uh, or like War of the Worlds or whatever. And whatever movie, whatever thing had a monster in it, even if it was two minutes, I would watch two hours of a movie for two minutes of monster, you know. And I just... I came out with this fully formed um, taste and and hunger for for this sort of older images. Um, so I don't know why people ask me that. What was it that sparked it? And and I have no idea. It doesn't really relate to my age, um, you know, my demographic at all. And that has really stuck with me. Um, and I, over the years, I've I've grown my taste have expanded a lot into like you know. Everything from like architecture to to fashion to you know sort of a, a greater appreciation of of the natural world and uh, the beauty of the natural world, but uh, in terms of like use of nostalgia, I mean it's really like this sort of things that I was interested in as a as a child um, have never left, and and that sort of like nostalgia for something that was before my time also really stuck around for some reason. Well, so, yeah. I wish I had something better to offer on my sort of own use of nostalgia, but it's like almost like I'm nostalgic for my childhood when I was nostalgic for things that were before my yeah. era. It's almost like I was sort of uh, what's uh, what's the the word? It's like reincarnated. My my nostalgia was reincarnated from 
a child from the 1940s or you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I, I have to to confess to a, a similar preoccupation with um, the period of my father's youth, which was the 30s and the 40s. And I love and I've always loved, like, for example, I'm fascinated by old radio shows old yeah, movie serials and things like that. I've always gone back to those things. I suppose it's one of the things that initially attracted me to your work was the idea that it was the, you know, visually you're, you're, you're striking these chords from that, from the thirties, forties, fifties, you know, right through the sixties. Uh, yeah, you know, that's part of it. Um, I, I, I find it curious though, because, you know, it seems like this is a hallmark of, of a particular kind of, artist and cartoonist i mean like as i was saying you know i had you you listened to my show with seth and i've had this conversation with him about you know his own exploration of the past and jay too we talked about that and and jay i don't know if you're familiar with jay's re most recent stuff the dwelling not, series no. that he, i'll yeah, have to check it out after after this yeah he too he 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 it was interesting in our conversation. He said nostalgia is in the true definition is means going back in pain. And I thought, well, in his work, it's particularly interesting to think of that. But in some sense, it's true. It's like a, a there is this longing, you know, um, that can be exquisitely painful, if you will, <laughs> um, for a period uh, of our own childhood, but also for for a period of uh, that's just out of reach, you know. And, yeah. Um, and there's something about that, you know, that desire to connect to that that thing that's just out of reach, you know, just beyond our, the scope of our experience. Um, yeah, I, that's I mean, that's a, a good way to sum up the the sort of the feeling for sure. I mean, I definitely sort of um, there's that the, the pangs of knowing that there's it's impossible to go back to that that time period and experience it for for better, for worse. You know, it's like I always have this sort of dreamy vision of what the past was like but i know it must have been horrendous in in many ways i mean you know we have it so good now in so many ways even with all the problems uh that we're facing but it's like oh really like have we ever had it better than this and we just don't appreciate it right we don't deserve what we have right now <laughs> I, I'm, I'm getting sidetracked a little bit but um yeah but i think now that i've sort of now that i've got some some age behind me it does kind of feel like I'm painting and and making the comics that I would have liked to have made when I was a child, but didn't have the abilities to do it. Mm -hmm. I think for me, that's sort of where what what my what I'm reaching for in a really simplistic, naive sort of statement, I guess, you know. Yeah, they're they're um they're almost like like as I flip through your your book, um Am, am I pronouncing it right? I said fatal. Is that like yeah, fatal? fatal? It's like femme fatale. Yeah. So yeah. I'm I'm looking at through the book, you know, and I, I feel a couple of things. One of the things is I feel is the past was never as good as this. You know, there there yeah. is there is a vibrancy and an eclecticism and a and an imaginative quality that runs throughout all of your images, steeped as they are in the past, and yet it's an imagined past that was that that should have been but wasn't. You know. Um, if if the artists of the pulp era and the early comics era could have free reign to do whatever they wanted to without concerns about money or anything, it might have been this good. But, you know, it took Ryan Heschke to go back and make it this good. <laughs> but it's all there's also, a, I mean, among all of the other kinds of feelings that are in this this work, 
there's a there is a feeling of longing that seems to run through it as well and um what it longing for you know is not always apparent but it does seem there's an undercurrent of melancholy or something through it as long as you know as well as the humor there's great humor in it there's great um dreaminess and all of that but there's this also this kind of melancholy that's there too that i think comes from whenever one reaches into the past in a way. I didn't know my work was so multifaceted. I, this is <laughs> <laughs> this is opening up things to me. Um, yeah, well, thank you. I mean, yeah, I I think, you know, I've, I've never tried to infuse that sort of personal, uh, any sort of personal or um, autobiographical feelings or, or anything like that in my work. But I think if that comes through organically, that's a good thing, because I would not, I know that I don't have the chops to pull off that sort of work on the surface you know some people do some people like seth again back to seth is like amazing for pulling off that sort of um melancholy um you know sort of narrative and he can do it all day long and it's beautiful and it's and it's like i can go back and look at it again and again uh and read it again and again um but i don't i don't have those skills that's not my language so if it comes across in any way i'm very happy um, that it elicits any kind of emotional response from people because I, I I I love weird and yet I find them pretty weird pretty you know pulp paintings is is basically that's that's my that's my thing so I think if it has any sort of personal connection with the viewer I think that's is that's you know that's a, a huge bonus. Well, so you you were early on attracted to um, a visual language that that was steeped in in a a world that was like i mean you were growing up in the 1970s right in the 70s and 80s and mm -hmm. so the visual languages that were around you and surrounded you at the time were were very different um you know if you were a comics fan you go back to looking at the comics of that period and you know we're talking about i guess oh you know who's around george perez and and people like john that. John Byrne was really big then yeah, and all of that kind of stuff. And it, it was definitely, uh, I mean, it's obviously the language of that period of, of time, but the language you were attracted to predated that, you know, visually. Were you conscious of the time when you were, you know, 10 years old that you were, you were not so interested in this, but you were really interested in the reprints in the back of the book or something? Yeah, no, that, that came very early on. Um, I didn't know... I didn't have any context for for the work that I liked, like the um, the the Mad Magazine comics and things like that. Um, you know, the the reprints of you know old Human Torch stories or Submariner or Captain America or, or whatever from the Golden Age. Um, so I had I had no context of of who they were created by or what what the what the sort of the timeline was. Um, that came much later, but I, I knew I, I had an eye and and. I could tell that something was different and old and I liked it, you know, <laughs> like it was like, I'm just attracted. If it was, if it was old, it had instant appeal to me and then some things more than others, but. Um, so you yeah. were looking, you were looking at, uh, at Carl Burgos and sub and Bill Everett's Submariner and, and those early Marvel comics and all-star comics. And I mean, stuff like that as well as, uh, pulp magazines too. You talk about that. So when did you first fall, you know, under the spell of pulp magazine? Um, it was a library book. I think it was called, I have it on my shelf. It's, um, 
Let me just quickly look at what it was here. Um, oh, it was 100 Years of Science Fiction Magazines was the title. It was like a British, it was published in, in, uh, in England in the 70s. And uh, it's, it's kind of loaded with like, you know, literally 100 years of, of, of science fiction, you know, magazines and, and inspiration. And um, what, what really caught my eye in that book was the, um, the covers of uh, Frank R. Paul. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. Who is famously known for doing the, the cover for the first Marvel comic ever? Um, yeah, and his his science fiction work. I mean, I was looking at it when I was a kid and and thinking like, where is this from? Who is this? Who is you know who is doing this this crazy stuff? I I knew it was all his work. I knew nothing about Paul at the time, but there was a, a sort of a, a taken out of you know the work was taken out of context. So I was looking at it just as imagery. And it just it blew my mind this sort of the imaginative quality, um, the sort of these visions of other worlds, but not only visions of other worlds, but visions of other worlds from a whole other time. So it added this sort of extra layer of like fog to it that that um, just intrigued me. And it was like there was a couple of specific magazine like uh, Frank R. Paul covers in that book that just you know blew me away. And uh, that was really the the gateway. That was the gateway drug for me. <laughs> was, well, was know, his work and his work is as really um continued to be like a, a huge source of of inspiration for me um and then later on I, I found out he was like trained as a classically trained as an architect in uh, austria i think and then uh, immigrated when he was sort of in his 20s and started working for you know Gernsback, the 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 early television and radio pioneer and all this sort of learned this interesting backstory about about who he was and who he worked for and that and uh yeah i just i love i love his stuff and it's it's really stuck around well um it, it's interesting that you were you were speaking about this kind of there's like this multiple layer attraction to it it's like a vision of another world but it's also another world that is envisioned by a, a time that's gone or a culture that no longer exists yeah and then painted by like a, a foreigner you know like someone that immigrated from from europe to the united states so it's got a, a another an extra level of you know um it, it all adds to this sort of like um this sedimentary layers of this this mist this you know the mystery of the work the intrigue of the work yeah these imagined worlds from from you know a, a mind from the past you know an, an imagined future from you know uh those those futures that were are pa past visions of the future right um, yeah which which are so attractive and so interesting because they offer an alternative to what we experience, where we actually experience, you know, the vision of 2000 and 1900 was very, very different from our experience of it. And, um, and that alternative is intriguing and attractive and um, suggestive. You know? Yeah, a lot of, a lot of my fir first sort of early um, personal works from the sort of the mid 2000s um, really drew on that retro feature, um, aesthetic and and trope you know and um i've always loved that you know that sort of uh idea that uh, you know the movie just imagine from the the 1930s this sort of like 1930s vision of yeah. of, of uh the next hundred years you know that sort of idea it's just it's it's fantastic um and very optimistic <laughs> well and i think that's it i think you know that's one of the things i think 
it's possibly missing, you know, and has been for the last 25, 30 years, whenever we imagine a future now, it seems to be dystopian. It's, it's dystopian, yeah. And it's like, wow, it's it's so it's so it's dark enough outside. I don't need to, you know, I don't need to indulge that side of of, of things any more than what's actually out there, you know. Mm-hmm. But that's just my own, you know. Um, I, I I don't really have a big attraction to this sort of like apocalypse um, genre that's sort of taken over every aspect of mainstream entertainment. I think it's I don't know. I, I understand the appeal of it to people. I don't think it's doing anybody any good, personally, to sound like an old fogey. Um, you know, <laughs> I think we could use some lightness. You know, sometimes my wife and I were looking for like comedy shows or comedy movies. There's no comedy. There's a, there's stand up, uh, which is a lot of it is great. Um, but like in terms of finding like a, a good, like sort of classically structured comedy movie, it's like almost like they don't exist oh. anymore the way they did. You know what I mean? Oh, I know exactly what you mean. I mean, I think we we sound our uh, of our generation to a certain yes, extent, but absolutely. I, I totally agree with you. I think the great comedy is a, a real lost art. I mean, when I watch a great comedy, I'm talking about my absolute favorite comedy of all time is Bringing Up Baby with Cary Grant and Katherine Hepburn. I absolutely adore that movie. I watched it a thousand times. Every time I've watched it, I I laugh at you know the silliest things the situation itself but is so brilliantly written and and acted and the actors in the the love of speaking a line you know for the line's Mm -hmm. sake and investing it with a certain you know attitude i mean it's so beautiful there are these little throwaway lines in that movie or in any Groucho Marx movie or oh my god i was just going to ask you if you're a marx brothers fan oh my god am i that is my that is my the quintessential comedy is for me is the, yes. the the first four Marx Brothers movies. Yes, absolutely. I I totally agree. Horse Feathers is is not one not on many people's highest list for for me. It's my favorite, and I just think it's absurd. It's so because partly it takes place in a university. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but it's it's just the most. Oh my God, those movies are so great. And, yeah. You know, and it's totally lost. And I and you know, I mean, when I think of great contemporary. Uh, comedies. I'm thinking probably the most recent are from the '70s, you know, in my mind because yeah, yeah. You know, like Young Frankenstein is my favorite, uh, probably from the last 40 years or so. Is is that particular film? Or yeah. Woody Allen's Sleeper, although you can't say Woody Allen any longer. But no, no, uh, <laughs> you're gonna have to edit that out. Yeah, um, I have to edit yeah. that out. But Sleeper, those great ones. So yeah, I, I yeah, I mean yeah, it, it's seventies is kind of the cutoff point for me. It's it's hard. I mean, for, I love the old style of comedy, so I'll I'll watch like a Jimmy Dranny, you oh, know, yeah. movie W C Fields. I love W C Fields. So it's like that sort of. But you know, the irreverence is is beautiful. The absurdity and the irreverence, I think, of those movies is is lost. Is it's a it's a lost art, and that's you know things change. I don't expect things to sort of go back to that, but um i uh, yeah i i feel like there's a where where is there a we're missing we're missing a lightness even the comedies now are sort of there's a lot of they're they're almost like black comedies you know and it's like well that's has a place but it's like let's get goofy you know like and, and to you know and, and this sounds really terrible too but too often there's this reliance on you know 
scatological humor, you know, as it were, fart jokes, you know, yeah. the level of humor is often that low. And yeah. it just it just leaves me longing for films that, you know, that comedies, I mean, a brilliant comedy is a rarity. It really I want a, I want a nice surreal comedy. I and mean, that's what I want someone to make that, you know. Yes. Yeah. Love what David Lynch if he ever made comedy but you know. <laughs> yeah exactly Twin Peaks is the closest I can get to comedy because there's like just yeah, right odd 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 moments of like laughter that's probably I know not it not that it's not intentional but it's like it maybe it's an awkward laughter not like a sort of a, a guttural sort of like haha you know it's more like oh you know it's, <laughs> what's the deal with the log right the guy with the log I mean I, it's been a long time since I watched Twin Peaks but that that little tidbit stuck me it struck yeah me, stuck out yeah, but there's, there's a lot of uh stuff in there that's that's also very funny in a very subtle way very it is yeah and that's i i think you know i i always hope to sort of inject that sort of um strange kind of surreal humor into my own work i don't i don't do it like with the intention of like oh this is gonna get a this is gonna kill them you know this is gonna slay them they're gonna love this but it's it's more just like the sort of the oddness like a you know um oddly placed eyebrow or unibrow or something like that it's like um i never wanted my work just to be sort of like dark and weird it has to be dark and funny and weird and then like layered with that sort of like you know hopefully a a, a beautiful patina and color scheme over top of it all to sort of like gel it all all together um but um yeah humor humor is a big a big part of my work um, and, and I definitely have a, a, a big appreciation and sort of longing for, um, some, some good solid humor. Well, you know, I think that the humor comes across in your work. I think it's one of the things that, you know, your work's not dogmatic, you know, I mean, a lot of people who move within, I mean, I know the phrase pop surrealism is, is used in regard to your work, but I think it's more than that, but, um, you know, that, um, that idea that oh, when you start to start to mine the surrealist language or the language of of unintended consequences or you know uh, de Chirico's idea of you know um, putting together objects that don't seem to connect in any way um, mm -hmm. you know that 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 there's this also this like um, among many artists there is a tendency to go extreme towards you know, darkness or, you know, and mining the weirdness to a certain point. But your work is also, as I said, it's suffused with melancholy, but there's also this humor that's that runs through that keeps it from being overburdened by darkness or, or weirdness or creepiness. I never feel like, you know, you can watch certain films or certain artists might make you feel kind of icky, you know? Um, yeah. Or, you oh, know, yeah. You, you've been someplace that you don't really, you know, you went there when you were inebriated or something and you, and you really regret it, you know, because it, when you think about it now, but that's not yeah. your work at all. Your work's not like that. Like, as I was saying, you know, the painting we were just talking about is exquisitely beautiful. And a lot of your work may not be, you know, searching for the same kind of beauty, but your work never tips over into that creepy kind of you know latex quality you know um, yeah yeah well i i know exactly what you're talking about yeah and um there is a sort of uh there's a there's a line for me in terms of what i'll cross in terms of like you know um 
violence or, or, or gore or things like that. And I definitely, I don't sort of usually dip into those areas. I, I haven't, I don't, I don't know when the last time I really painted blood was. I'm not really interested in being a, a gore artist um, or any of that sort of like going, going too violent. I think Pleasure Planet, the, the last comic that I did, um, you know, uh, well, you've, I, you, you've seen it and, and yeah. it sort of, it sort of, uh, dives into the sort of to into sex and violence it's essentially a, a comic book about sex and violence yes it is um, yeah. and 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 eco disaster in a way too um but um i try yeah i mean i tried to balance the sort of the level of of violence and and uh and sex in it with sort of a, a very bright color scheme um like a sort of a four color comics color scheme um along with sort of that stilted unintentionally funny although i'm sort of aiming for unintentionally funny so it's not really unintentional anymore but that's sort of like stilted roger corman dialogue that's you know it's sort corny. of corny <laughs> you know i'm going for corny i guess it's, if i can't do clever i'll take corny right. um, so that that's sort of the balance with i think i think without those two elements it would just sort of feel dark and, and rapey you know like it would just sort of like oh this is just a rapey space comic you know and mm. when i say rapey by the way it's not male against it's not male over female it's female over male rapey so just to, just to, just to clear just to clarify i don't know if that makes it better that's probably not going to be very popular with people either but basically it's a it's a it's a it's a um anti um uh, what's the word i'm searching for here the sort of the um Oh, I'm totally drawing a blank on the uh, word. It's, but, it strikes me as a more, I mean, all, well, this is another topic I wanted to get into. And there's a, a streak of very strong feminism in your work and uh, particularly the comics. Um, and and it seems to be, um, you know, it's a feminist work. Um, it's it's a work that um, what's the other word I'm looking for? I'm kind of at a, a loss, too. But it's it's also a a parody of science fiction films it's a parody of porn films it's a parody of a particular kind of uh um science fiction story also all of these things are kind of loaded into it you know mm -hmm. i mean um that make it a really satisfying read uh it is very funny it, it is very funny it's um it's not titillating in, in the way pornography is supposed to be um, <laughs> yeah it's it's not it's too light in color to be truly scary but it it is um it it really is one of those things that really you know you stop and you think and you laugh but you also stop and think well you know this is this is i mean this is really kind of scary and um it, it makes you also wonder about the guy who made it. <laughs> what, what was he, what, what, there's a particular, okay, this gets right to the heart of it. There's a particular idea about women in your work, in your comics, particularly. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got Mean Girls Club. We've got Frog Wife. We've got Pleasure Planet. In all of these, women are taking it out on on males, on men, one way or the other. The frog wife has been wronged, uh, you know, by these philandering uh, partners she's had, um, mm -hmm. and she ends up eating her, you know, spoiler alert, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. eating her conquests, you know, uh, as a frog will do. Um, eat Consuming her, her loves. 
Yeah, yeah and, the, and those guys are all insects too, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so there's a particular attitude about the, the relationship, the power relationship between the sexes. Is that something that you're like, and in Pleasure Planet, we have the same kind of thing. We have these guys who are really, you know, these horny space astronauts, right? Who are landing on this planet, this planet, the Pleasure Planet, and it's this abundantly beautiful uh, sort of um, rainforest of a kind, you know, all this Garden of Eden kind of, of Eden, type. yeah, and and literally to make that metaphor real, you know, the the only beings there are these beautiful alien women who you know, then do what they do to these guys and leave them a little bit worse for wear. <laughs> yeah, to, yeah, to put it mildly. Um, yeah, well, to, I, I'm a gender traitor, I guess. That's the only explanation <laughs> for, for this. Um, no, but but seriously, to backtrack, I, the word I was looking for, searching for minutes ago was um, patriarchy. So uh-huh, there's yes. a, the threat of anti-patriarchy runs in these comics. It's very, it's, it's very strong, very on the surface. Um, and I'm not sure, no, sorry, now I got distracted, but your question was sort of the idea of the sort of the, the, the female dominance in my comics. Is that well, sort of, it's, it's like, um, it, it's revealing of a certain, um, disposition in regard to, um, I guess the patriarchy, but also in regard to the power, power play between male and female. Um, like for yeah. example. Mean Girls Club is really all about vengeance. I mean, you know, um, the Mean Girls Club is made up of women who have really, who are really pissed off, you know, and mm-hmm. and rightly so, you know, because these the, the men who are depicted in this are unfailingly, you know, I mean, what's the word I'm looking for? Assholes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say dicks, but yeah, yeah assholes. Okay. Let's go with <laughs> and me, I think I named a lot of my characters Dick, by the way. The Dick turns up as a name for my male characters <laughs> <laughs> numerous, numerous times. So uh, <laughs> I love the name Dick. Yeah, I know. And I, I, you know, it's, I, I don't want to, how do people even, I don't know where the nickname came from or Dick Tracy for years. People take Dick, you know, never th- gave it a second thought. And no. it's very hard <laughs> to think of it, <laughs> say yeah. it with a straight face any longer. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, but, but getting to you know what's going on in these comics is is you know it seems like i mean there there's a certain how conscious is this or is it just something that comes out as you're sitting down to work on a comic is it like something you plan to do or is it something that just happens yeah you know i think what mean girls was the the first comic that i did as a self-published comic um in 2014 up until then i had done a a couple self-published comics that because it was pre-internet didn't really go anywhere. And then before that, it was just drawing comics for my own comic, you know, for my own amusement so that no one read them. Um, but the, yeah, Mean Girls Club really came out fully formed and very, very, you know, pissed off at the, at the patriarchy, very disappointed with the male run world. I, I think in hindsight, it was sort of part just my love of this sort of like juvenile delinquent 1950s, Roger Corman sort of like, movies like what was it swamp women you know a bunch of women break out of prison and they take a guy hostage and they live in a swamp for a while or when they're on the on the lamb um so there's that sort of like idea of like oh i love that sort of genre i'm gonna i'm gonna do something with that and and sort of you know just kind of invent a, a comic movie trailer for this fictional you know um movie that that has never been made um but then as i started to sort of move forward it's like it 
kind of kept coming back to that theme, like with Frog Wife, it's the sort of idea of like, you know, the the end of, of patriarchy and the the beginning of sort of, a, um, you know, uh, well, in the in the case of the Frog Wife character is sort of the, the, the central character. So we see everything through her eyes, but the sort of um, idea of, of trying to accept, you know, men into her life and she ends up just, you know, consuming them literally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then and then with Pleasure Planet, again, this sort of idea of like, um, you know, men wanting to dominate and then the tables get turned on them very quickly. And uh, and then it sort of all bleeds back to to our planet as well. Um, so, yeah, not the, it wasn't really intentional at first, but then the sort of the more I sort of um, developed uh, my own comics, um, it just it, it became a, a prevalent theme and a theme that I sort of felt was 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 timely um and not not in terms of like oh i'm going to do something like female power because that's not going to coming from a white male it's not going to feel very um genuine you know what i mean um but more from the from the from the sense of like oh like not not so much female power but more like oh males have really fucked this world up sorry for the language sorry i, I <laughs> you can bleep that out no um, it's an adult I, bit of the- <laughs> i've been trying to conscious to be conscious of my language but anyways um yeah, the um, so that that idea of just like how ruined things are from this sort of you know male dominated and the word dominated is like just this like word that I just I feel is this awful word. It's like why do we have to dominate everything from sports to like the business world to to nature? It's just this idea of domination is is so counterproductive, but. Um, Anyways, I think all that sort of started to feed back into my comics. And then, of course, when, you know, when when uh, I won't mention his name, but when he was elected president in the, in, in uh, 2000, was it 2016? Um, and I was sort of like, that's when I started to sort of come up with the idea for for Pink Dawn, the sort of like very, very directly anti-patriarchal, um, you know, sort of narrative with with the the church, the state, and politics, and and the police, sort of all intertwined, as this uh, you know uh, nasty sort of sleazy organism, you know that the Mean Girls were sort of pushing, you know could 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 sort of push against, and it sort of exercised my own sort of feelings about like I, I my daughter had just been born in 2016, um, you know, and then Trump was elected right after that, and I'm like oh my god, like what a what did I what did I bring her into? You know, like what, what did we, what did we do? You know, like not that, not that, you know, Trump would, would stop us from having a child, but it's like, it just makes you kind of think twice about like, where, where are we headed? You know? And how can, you know, what can I do to keep my child like on track and, and, you know, protected from these sort of awful, really awful forces that exist. So we'll break it up right there. Thus ends part one of my two-part discussion with Ryan Heshka. Second part should come out next week. Visit ryanheshka.com for all kinds of goodies. Lots of prints and comics and posters and paintings and just about everything. Ryan Heshka is available on ryanheshka.com. And uh, you're going to love his stuff. If you haven't checked it out before, if if you love cool artwork, if you love really vintage and golden age and creepy and, and dreamlike and and otherworldly and uh, ethereal wonderful visions <laughs> you know beautiful stuff go to ryanheshka.com 
you will find it there. You'll also find more stuff on Instagram at Ryan Heshka, at Ryan Heshka. Just incredible. You, it will be hours and hours of enjoyment. And, uh, and he's got some, a lot of great stuff for sale. So be sure to check it out. And, uh, and, and he'll be back next week. So come back. Come back soon because uh, the next show, part two of this scintillating and interesting interview, will be up next week. So be looking for that. Happy Halloween to you wherever you are. I, I hope that uh, the Great Pumpkin brings lots of toys to your pumpkin patch. And uh, so I told you I was working on some stuff. I am working on a very special project. Actually, it's finished and it's ready to debut on the 100th birthday of Charles Schultz. Something for, for Charles Schultz's 100th birthday. It's really special. And, uh, well, you know, it's something I've been working on for a number of years now, uh, a little animated film. And uh, if you listen to this podcast early on, way in the early days, when I first started it, which was like four years ago now, hard to believe, uh, I might have mentioned, I might have mentioned, just to give you a hint, um, an idea for a project. And, and, uh, well, that little idea has become a full-fledged thing. (laughs) It's become a little movie and, uh, it will be available to watch on November 26th on the 100th birthday of Charles Schultz, whose uh, life we want to celebrate here all month long, celebrating the life and legacy of the wonderful Charles Schultz. So I'm hoping to have a couple of guests on real soon to, uh, to help me do that. More about Charles Schultz and more about that coming up very shortly. Next week, I'll have more details for you and, uh, and then some new shows really quickly on the heels of that because uh, we want to we make, make it Charles Schultz month here on Blockhead because he was our original inspiration. And still, there's no comic like Peanuts anywhere in the world. So... If you want to keep up with me, follow me on Instagram at Green Screen Comic or Grogan Jeff. I'm at both places. It's like slightly schizophrenic, but uh, there I am. And uh, where else? And Gro- oh, JeffGrogan.com, of course, where you can listen to this show and all of our archived episodes at JeffGrogan.com. That's Jeff with a G, G E O F F G R O G A N dot com. See, I've overcome my spelling problem. Those of you who have listened to the show for so long now. You notice, you know, I've been I've been taking my vitamins, and I've overcome that uh, spelling difficulty. I can spell my name, G E O F F, G R O G A N. I am very proud. So, uh, and as a tribute to my great spelling prowess, follow me uh, on Instagram at uh, the Green Screen Comic, Grogan Jeff, whatever, and uh, and my website, JeffGrogan.com, which I can spell. Okay, so uh, go there. And, uh, and I will see you. I will see you there, but I will also see you here on Blockhead. And uh, Ryan Heshka next week. Uh, lots of Charles Schultz stuff coming up after that. And be well and, uh, and be happy. And enjoy the fall. Go trick-or-treating. I hope you don't get any rocks. I hope you get lots of good good goodies this evening while you're out, out and about with your little, little orange pail. And, uh, and all those candy corns and wonderful things that come with fall and Halloween. So until next time, take care and be well. And as always, thanks for listening. <laughs>